Hello and welcome to the Crown Cast. Uh, today you're joining us as part of our Celtic Autumn Weekend. Yeah. Uh, my name is Rich Hyden. I'm the community archaeologist here at the Scottish Crown Centre, and this is Jason. And I do lots of different things here, but today I'm going to be talking about plants yes. because I work in the textile area. So plants really inform a lot of what we do here at the centre. Yes. Yeah, so the Celtic Autumn event it's entirely based around um, the concept being the heart and the home, and it's about taking you know, what these people would have cooked, what they would have made um, in terms of the food, but also what that's inspired us to do is for the podcast this week is to sit down yeah. uh, and actually we have both printed off a long list um, and the long list is basically all of the plants that were identified in the excavation of Oak Bank Cranog. Did that make sense? Did yes, it did. So it, what we've got is we've got quite a long list, but... Um, what we're going to do is we're not going to go through the whole list, but we thought it'd just be one of the things that I think maybe we sometimes don't um, take into full account is just the sheer range of yeah what we would call archaeobotanical evidence, but the plant remains that were left on our cranog. So in um, in terms of the work done, there has been I think it's up to four different people that have taken time um, to identify species on the cranog um, and. That's four different sets of pieces of work working on what was left behind. This has been done through what we call um, the, the larger than macro botanics, is it? Yeah. It's the stuff that's really, really big and easy to see. So as we've got on the table in front of us, straight from the collection out of the case here, is those larger plant uh, evidence remains. So as you can see, we've got a number of things. Um, primarily when they excavated Oak Bank Cranog, there was a lot of, as you can see here, hazelnut shells. There was acorn shells, but there was also cherry stones as well. So I think if we're going to work through this list, the most obvious ones seem to be these ones to start with. Yeah. Um, and what we'll do is we'll just we'll go through each one. We're not going to tear list it, although I did propose that idea. You did. I think you should. Maybe not. We'll see how we get on. We'll see how we get on. We'll see how we get on. But what <laughs> we've got is we've got a, a long list, um, but these kind of, we, we don't want to go through them all, so this is kind of a good place to start. Yeah. We'll go through the list. You've chosen some that you'd like to talk about. Yeah. Um, and think about it. I've got some that I've highlighted that I'd like to talk about. Um, but we're definitely going to talk about all the ones that have been done. So there's four different people that did it. Miller, Stokes, Clapham and Hansen. These are the guys that have done the work in the past on the archaeobotanical remains. The yeah. most recent one being Jennifer Miller, who did a really extensive piece around all the plants that were left um, in terms of, of coring evidence in that case. Um all the ones that all four of these people identify, we're definitely going to talk about them because we know they're present. You yeah. know they're they're definitely there. Some interestingly, um, only Jennifer Miller identified, but yeah. that was because she was doing a lot of core work on on you know fine work. And there was other ones that other people identified that Jennifer Miller couldn't identify yeah. in the work that was done. Um, and again, it's this is this is not you know recent 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 work so i think if we went back in and did it again now yeah. there might be different moves to this so this isn't a final list in any way shape or form um so the first ones as we've got here um hazelnuts uh so in terms of the list if you're thinking of a plant that's obviously the the presence of hazel um so for me i mean having hazel present on site is probably one of the most one of the most important um wood species that we have on the crown yeah um not just because hazel is is an incredibly versatile um, timber, uh, but also hazel it, it's uh, it's good evidence of coppicing. 
Yeah. You know, when you're finding we have hazel in terms of, of woven hazel panels and coppicing. We've talked about coppicing in the past, so I won't go through that again, but that's there. But the other thing with coppicing is if you do um, seven years, you rotate and you you would generate through the hazel tree um, straight rods that you can weave with, you can, you can shape with. Um, but also if you do that again and you do that again after about 20 years, you can actually encourage that hazel tree um, to to grow an extortionate amount of hazelnuts. Right, okay. Um, so actually having hazelnuts present alongside coppice wood, you know, it gives us the realm of starting to talk about, you know, these people are, are obviously harvesting the hazelnuts. Um, also hazelnuts found on the archaeological site all throughout that mound of our crag. So the, the, the depositions there, there's tons of archaeological stuff gathered yeah. up. But hazelnuts aren't just in like one single cluster. You find them dotted okay. in different areas. So actually, um, if my reading of the report is right, anyway. So I like that because uh, the presence of cracked hazelnuts, and also as you can see next to the cracked hazelnuts, burnt hazelnuts as well. Um, it's what I call. Uh, well, I was talking to this the other day. It's it's, it's habitual getting rid of stuff. It's that mm. habit. It's not a case of right. I'm going to go do one thing, throw everything away. What you do with a hazelnut? You crack it. You eat the nut. Then what you do with the shell? Yeah. Throw it off the side. Throw it through the gap. Or you taste the burned ones. Throw it on the fire. If it goes on the fire, um, then you just clear your fire out. Dump it off the side, and that's how it's ended up there. Can you with with hazelnuts when they're burned? <clears throat> is there anything else you can do with them after that? In other words, you know, it's a funny way of looking at it. Does it have legs, or does it just stop at that point? Is there anything you can you would be able to do with crushed up hazelnuts, or not? That's just the end of it, is it? That's the I would have thought. It. I mean, hazelnut shells, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. thought that kind of. There's not many functions beyond it that I right. know of. Okay. You can ask me a question. We have to research that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Uncertainty, Richard. Certain, yeah. <laughs> so no, but um, so hazelnuts, and then also the other ones in here that we've got are cherry stones, and again, it's the same. It's the same process with the cherry stones. Yeah. Um, we have um, cherry that was identified, and then I think slightly later down the line, uh, they went further into identifying it as bird cherry specifically um so it's it's you know bird cherry is the thought of what they've got here when cherries are in season you gotta remember that there's not a i can get cherries in january march february you know i'm only gonna get cherries when they're in season yeah. so you're gonna kind of have that feast of, of cherries in a way um you eat the cherry what you do with the stone spit it off the side and then it goes into the water or into the fire or wherever it might be and again seeing this regularly so this is stuff that's quite easy to see in the archaeology um but jason if you'd like to have a, a look at uh, choose one of your your ones off yeah. your list um <clears throat> and we'll discuss a bit about that okay i'm just thinking of the people that may not be local to here because i think sometimes when we're talking about the plants that we find um is we we me and rich if we look out the window we can see the other side of the lock we can see the hill we can see the remnants of another crowning over the other side of the lock. So for us, we're kind of locked into the landscape and we can see where these things might have grown. But just, I think, to give it maybe a little bit of context, do we still have that cherry growing here? A lot of the plants that are on here before I start zoning in, do we still have a lot of these plants? Or is that kind of telling us that, I mean, for example, with the sedges, we've got a lot of sedges. Now, they only grow in marshy soil. And yet we don't have marshy soil along the side of the lock anymore. A lot of these plants mm. only grow in marshy soil or they grow um, near a river's edge. 
but do we still get these plants now just to kind of give context or are they the same kind of plants if we went out now we'd find them would we go out and find opium poppy for example no we wouldn't absolutely okay. not I, I don't know many sedge around here um, yeah yeah so i, I thought that basically well, the landscape's completely different the landscape is different yeah yeah and i think sometimes you know we can look out and we can see it and we can think oh that's what it was like but it wasn't it was completely different from that so the thing that stood out for me for different reasons is um, some of the plants suggest uh, arable farming. They're mm -hmm. the kind of weeds that you would expect to see during arable farming. Um, also the plants that were used for um, dyeing, potentially for dyeing, and also for uh, basketry as well. All of those plants are seasonal as well. You can only use them at different times of the year. Mm -hmm. um, so let's grow with uh, the one that really stood out for me because it implies movement mm -hmm. is cloudberry. So this isn't like the sedges which are found along the, the shore of the loch. Um, they are found somewhere completely different. So they grow in an alpine environment. So they're, they're kind of, <coughs> excuse yeah. me, they're growing high up in the hills. Yeah. And we know from um, <coughs> research that... Um, some other people have done, um, is that if cloudberry seeds have appeared on uh, 16, I think it's 16, 17, don't quote me on that, of the rest of the chronic. So it yeah. would suggest that at some point in the year, people were moving across the landscape. They were moving up into the hills, for example. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, they would be moving down again. So could it be, for example, that the cloudberry seed suggests that people are moving across yeah. the landscape or a certain yeah. section of people. So to give you an idea, I'm not looking at my, yeah. my watch because okay. I'm bored of you, Jason. I'm looking at my watch because <laughs> it gives me the uh, the height from sea level that we are here. Yeah. And we're about just under 100 metres above sea level here. Yeah. You only get cloudberries, I think it's five, minimum of 500, sorry, minimum of 500 metres above sea level. Right, okay. So you won't, get them around you won't, you won't get them here. yeah so yeah. but they are they are present on the cranic so yeah. that again suggests from what we said so far is that the landscape looked different mm -hmm. and people were moving across the landscape mm -hmm. to somewhere else now whether that was the entire family mm -hmm. whether it was just the people that were looking after the sheep we don't know but we've and it suggests that everybody was doing it so could they all be doing that at the same time or did that mean that certain point in the year everybody was doing that we don't we don't know maybe they would be coming down at this time of the year and bringing mm -hmm. the cloudberry seeds with them because this is the time of year when you're going to be thinking about your harvest mm -hmm. um which would have been different back then um because it was two degrees colder then which means actually that your harvest would be five weeks sooner than ours so even the way that they're working on the landscape is going to be different mm -hmm. so anyway yeah, I'm going so on about just, No, seeds. no, Clabbery, what is it? What will best thing to do, Jason, is just explain what a Clabbery actually is. Clabbery is a, it's a very small plant that appears infrequently and it has um, small uh, yellow berries. Yeah. And what um, would you use them for? You could use it for making um, preserves, something like that, but it's actually quite bitter. Mm. But people do go out now and they'll go out and search for them and pick them because it's a, it's a specialty, but yeah. they occur infrequently now. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a bit of an interesting thing that, you know, looking at that, the presence of a lot of cloudberries in the Iron Age. I mean, originally, 
the initial investigations turned up very, very few club receipts. Yeah. But then I know from 2019, they did yeah. the work with, I believe it was Living on War, did some calls, and that was when they started to identify a lot more club receipts in, yeah. in that. So, I mean, you got to look at yourself, is the landscape actually so much more different back then that there is yeah. more Cloudberries available. So there's, there's question marks there. Just to go from Cloudberries to add to that, we do have um, Bramble and we do have Raspberry on yeah. the crowd as well, which would have been much more local and also present. And interestingly enough, only Jennifer Miller picked up on the Cloudberries, yeah. um, which is probably due to the fact that Cloudberry seeds are so small. Um, whereas Raspberry and Bramble, significantly larger and more yeah. available. And everybody, all four studies... Uh, picked up Bramble and Raspberry uh, on the Cranog too. Uh, any others, Jason, yeah. you want to run through? Um, I'm kind of going off a bit of a tangent now, but going into potential plants that are used for dyeing. Mm -hmm. The main one is dog's mercury, and the other one is gypsy warts. Dog's mercury will give you a blue colour, but you need a lot of the plant, and that tends to grow um, in quite a shaded area. I tried to plant some dog's mercury out the front, it wasn't very successful. Um, I ended up with one little leaf that keeps occurring every year. And then I turned around in the back of the textile area, it's just covering. So it will, it will cover the land, it's quite poisonous, but it will give you a blue. Gypsy wart can give you a black colour, mm -hmm. but I don't really see the point of using that when you've probably got black sheep. You might, you might want to, it gives you a, a grey-black colour. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed here is um, kind of extending that outwards is that we've also found alder and oak and they are ways of dyeing wool that don't require a fix. So you soak the alder, the bark, or the oak bark in water, let yes. it sit there, crust up some cells and, and put them in. Mm -hmm. And um, then you put your wool in and you leave it there maybe for three to four weeks, something like that. Yeah. And you have got wool that has been permanently changed. It's not going to fade down. So that is brilliant. So you can just, you chuck the wool into this mixture and leave it. That doesn't mean that they were using that, and that's more than likely probably come because of the fact that the cranic was made from older, but it's just something I've noticed there. No, what, what you're pointing out, though, <coughs> is that the, the available resource. Yeah, um, yeah. We've got older, older timber used on the cranog. Fernan, known as the, the place, place, of place of older as yeah. such, and that, that presence in the Iron Age of a lot of older, you, you can't imagine that they weren't fully using these yeah. these materials that are available at fingertips and older is one of those which, which would have been used. Um, but earlier on you were, you were actually talking just before we started, you were talking about things that had an aesthetic value that they would have been also as well as using the landscape differently and it would look different. Also the flowers that were appearing, there's some things that are just beautiful in their appearance, I think you were talking about that. Yeah, so I mean the, the, you've got the presence, I mean just interestingly when you look at the list um, there's, there's a lot of, of function, which we've already kind of yeah. machine gun hit on through a lot of different obvious functions there that, that we know of between between the two of us just very quickly. But then also you've got ones that maybe in terms of direct function, yeah. I'm, I'm putting that in air quotes, function, um, things like daisy, yeah. things like rose, yeah. things like... Violets, things like pansies, all these ones that you know actually their presence on the cranog might not even be dictated by the fact that they're actually functionally using them for anything in specific. Yeah. 
Um, to be honest, they might well be. They might be actually picking them to decorate their house. It's not, you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah, not, it's not, not yeah. a farcical belief yeah. to say that. But even if they weren't, what it does is it. I, I like those ones because it enables us to understand and visualize the lock side. Yeah. If they weren't, so if they weren't bringing them out and decorating the crowd, which I believe they may well have done, because you know decoration. I mean, going back to much much earlier, Neolithic, even down to as far back—not that it's relevant to the Iron Age—but as far back as Neanderthals, they've got yeah. burials with people with flowers on their yeah. chests. So you know, this isn't uh, unnecessary you know, thought. It's, yeah. it's there, it's present. But even if they weren't, they may not have done. We look at the lock side, they're going to be bringing this in, they're dragging this in on their feet, or they're yeah. dragging it in for whatever reason, or it's getting brought in in the mix of everything else. And that helps us when you look at the landscape as it is today, which is, you know, the lock side of Lot A is a lot of forestry commission yeah. trees. You know, from the, the earliest Drummond Hill being the earliest managed woodland in Britain. Yeah. Um, so that's got a history there that it's been, you know, planted woodland for, for about over 500 years. But you've got to kind of rub all that out. And yeah. How can you imagine that landscape? And it's actually looking at this list, starting to go, well, you know, you've had Alder, you've got Birch, you've got Rowan, you've got Hazel, you've got Oak, you've got Aspen, and that, for me, just starts to colour in that landscape. Yeah. And it starts to go, right, well, we've got mixed trees, deciduous trees, they would have taken all this. But then, as I said, that kind of, that presence of flowers gives you that colour and it helps you to understand it. Yeah. Um, there is also, we do here at the Cranham Centre have a, our own garden. Um, Jenny manages her own garden and I believe we took some time to sit and chat to Jenny and she's going to explain about what we're growing here and what we might use for that. So we'll go over to Jenny now. Jenny and I work at the Scottish Cranach Centre and I'm going to talk to you about weeds. Um, so back in the days of our Cranach, uh, the diet would be made up quite largely of foraged foods, uh, especially at this time of year. There's loads and loads of things you can pick. Uh, lots of the things that we think of as being weeds are of high nutritional value and lots of them can be used medicinally as well. So on this board here are lots of things that people would just think are weeds. They'd get rid of them in the garden, um, but they've all got different uh, uses. So here we've got dandelions. These are very uh, rich in iron. Every part of the plant can be used. It's a diuretic. And even the roots you can roast and grind into an alternative to coffee, which is very good for the liver and kidneys. We've got this speckledy looking plant which grows in the woods. It's called lungwort and that has traditionally been used to cure bronchial complaints, so bad coughs, um, chest complaints, uh, whooping cough as well. It's been used to treat quite successfully. Um, what else have we got? Brambles. So right now it's berry season. So back in our Cranach they would be out collecting all the berries in the hedgerows um, it's a great boost of vitamin C just before winter time, so it's very timely. Brambles are delicious. They're an anticoagulant, so they're very good for the, good for the blood. 
um, high in vitamin C as well, and they taste delicious. Um, I usually make bramble jelly, and some years make bramble wine as well, which is quite delicious. I left it for about two years once, and it turned out like port. Very nice. This here is called plantain. Again, most people just weed it out of the garden and chuck it away. But back in the days of our cranic, this would be used a lot, I would imagine. So if you have a cut or if you have um, sort of like a splinter or something stuck in your skin, you can mash it up and make a poultice out of it and that will draw uh, whatever it is out of your skin. So a very useful thing to have. Then we've got stinging nettles. So most people, most gardeners are like, ah, stinging nettles, get rid of them. But they have got a multitude of different uh, uses. The people on our Kranig made miles of nettle rope and they lashed the roof of the Kranig together with that. So it makes a very strong rope. You can also make cloth out of it, kind of the same way as you would use hemp traditionally. But also in the kitchen, it's got lots of uses. So you can cook it off like spinach, add it to any dish that you'd have spinach with. Um, just sort of saute it. Again, very iron rich um, and good for the liver and kidneys too. And then the last one to talk about is this little one here. So it's kind of past the season, so it looks a bit speckledy. Um, this is called butterbur, and you, the leaves of it grow absolutely massive. And right the way back through history, it's been used as natural packaging <clears throat> to wrap dairy produce in. So it's completely food safe and you would buy your block of butter or cheese all wrapped up in this plant. Um, I like talking about natural packaging because I think it's something that we should have a pushback towards. It's much nicer than wrapping all your food in plastic, which isn't very good for anyone. Nettles also you can use as packaging as well. The big nettle leaves um, have been used for lots of years to wrap cheese in too. And it gives the cheese a lovely little flavour as well. So the thing is that we've kind of lost um, the knowledge of plants. Um, a lot of plant medicine is very effective and in some ways almost slightly better for you than, than modern medicine, although maybe don't quote me on that. Um, there's so much out there that you can pick that will cure just about any ailment. Uh, obviously, you should still go to the doctor if you're really ill. <laughs> <clears throat> So right now, it's berry season. All the hedgerows are full of elderberries, rose hips, sloes, hawthorns. And again, each one of those has got a different important uh, medicinal property. So hawthorns, very good for circulatory problems and um, problems with the heart. You can make hawthorn leaf tea. It's very good for you. Elderberries, again, you've got to cook them first because they're slightly toxic but they are packed with, with uh, vitamin C, which is incredibly good for you to stave off colds and things um, before they get a hold of you. And then rose hips too, which are widely known to be probably the highest uh, vitamin C containing berry that you can get in this country. Um, when I was a kid, we always used to have rose hip syrup and I make it every year. So haven't made it yet actually, <laughs> but where I live the hedgerows are bursting with rose hips. It's been a very good year for fruit around here. So I will make a batch and I will bring it into the cranig so everyone can try it. Um, but that's the thing, we've kind of lost connection with, with nature a bit and forget that there's so much food out there that you can pick. Uh, it's obviously good to check with local land landowners or whatever uh, before you go picking. But most people don't really mind and you can actually 
um, supplement your diet really nicely with foraged foods and you've got no ear miles, no pesticides or preservatives. And this is the sort of diet, obviously, that they would have had back in, in the Iron Age, much healthier than our modern day diets are, which is quite ironic because we think of ourselves as being so advanced. Uh, but if anything, we could actually learn a lot about uh, good food from the people in the Iron Age. There was a, a lot of um, good food around. I've just totally run out of things to say there. <laughs> Maybe you can edit that bit That's out. Um, I can't think what else to say. I have no idea what I just said. I just went... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's what Is there any other things? I don't know. Uh, I think my face is the same colour as the tablecloth too. Um, don't know. Is that... I think I gibbered quite a lot. You can edit out any really pure gibbery bits. What should, should I end it on some kind of... Just be like, oh, um, maybe a little wise one about, oh, you know, anything to do with plants in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. um, if you've got any plans on that aspect. Or oh yeah, I should talk yeah. about that a little bit and talk about um, running foraging courses in the future as well, mm -hmm. if anyone's interested, I guess. Uh, let me just think for a second that's what I'm fine. saying. I'll stay quiet and whenever you're ready, just go back into it. Okay. So over at our new site at Delurb, which will be open next year, um, we're going to be able to amp it up in terms of produce, in terms of the stuff that we can forage. We're in our cafe that we're going to have, it will all be homegrown or foraged foods. And it'll be really good to inspire people to think just a little bit differently about their diets and how much there actually is out there that you can pick. Um, I'll be running foraging courses eventually and preserving, things like that. And we'll also have a forest food garden, which will look a little bit more like the forest would have done back in the Iron Age, which will just be packed full of delicious things to pick and eat. Um, so hopefully we'll see you there. <laughs>
Yeah, so there it is, mixed together. And then bread wheat, modern day bread wheat, which, you know, is, is what we use today. The one that I would like to talk about, though, in a little bit more, is spelt wheat as well. Yeah. Spelt is is one of those wheats that um, today may be considered... Artisanal. Yeah, artisanal. Artisanal. Yeah, trendy. <laughs> um, it's a low in gluten. Uh, it's, it's a much lower gluten uh, flour, so if you are gluten intolerant, spelt is, is quite a popular mm. choice if you are going to be eating bread. Um, it's not gluten free, but it is it is low in gluten. But the thing about spelt is that actually, when it was first found on the Prano site, um, spelt is one of those species that was thought to have been brought with the Romans. Right, okay. Because in the archaeological record, we had very little spelt. Um, so initially, when they found uh, spelt at Oak Prank Cranog, we, we were able to actually predate the presence of spelt in Britain by really? 500 years. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, I know now there's been other work done, um, I believe. There's been other roundhouses found that they've excavated and done coring. I think a lot of it was down to the coring evidence um, at the time, but now they've been able to push that back even further. But the thing being is that, that spelt is not a native species. It yeah. has been brought to the British Isles. Um, just to clarify, there's, there's, a, there's an interesting thing about native species, about how we use it. We're using the term native probably, um, from our understanding, different to how other people would use it. Um, so what's the contemporary definition, just to make that clear, what, what we're talking about by native, just native, in case well, there's any... If we're talking about a native species, it's, it's a species which is naturally present in that area. From which time? So, well, that's that's the, the overall definition. Yeah. Now, there is an argument that, um, in terms of the UK, a native and non-native, the argument is, is that if it's present before 1500, right. it is native. Right. If it's present after 1500 but not before, yeah. it would be a non-native. Now, that, that is done and that, that definition is chosen 1500 AD um, because that is when there is a real significant shift in terms of human movement and human impact and human trade and human kind of industry, which means we start to see, you know, the shift so, of these items. So, so just to kind of... <laughs> Off slightly a tangent. So therefore, using that particular definition, spelt is native. In terms of that, yes, here. but it's not. But it's <laughs> not, not native because that's what I mean. Is, that, is yeah. that's that's so so in a way, I think the native concept of native, which is which yeah. is actually in a way, although it might sound wrong, it is right. Yeah. Because what you have to think about is the spheres in which it works. So, for instance, pine. Yeah. So if you take a pine tree, a pine tree can spread its you know yeah. its needles thousands of miles so really you have european so when you talk yeah. about europe and you talk about basically by the 1500 what they're trying to demark there is the stuff that has come from the americas yeah. and that's the, the line that you can cut because things can travel people will travel things will move and how it is but in terms of actual human agency yeah. with these things spelt has that's been right. brought and it is i would i would think today when we use the term native we'll talk about stuff for me yeah. That was here present at the Neolithic, so about six thousand years ago, because that's where people start to kind of move stuff and grow stuff and farm stuff. Yeah. So back to these grains. Yes. Emma and spelt. So Emma is a is an ancient grain. Yes. Emma cannot tolerate cold, damp weather. So after the, it, there was a, a crossover point where wasn't it that spelt is found more 
after your kind of early Iron Age period where people were moving into spell. Yeah. So does that, and it's not evidence of it because obviously they were still using both, but that also suggests a climate shift as well, doesn't it? So as well I mean, as the landscape changing, the use of the landscape, the way they were moving through it, the visual, how it looked back then, it's also suggesting what the weather was like. Because is that true, that Emma can't tolerate cold, damp weather? I have never extensively grown Emma in my career. Right. <laughs> Jason, I'll be honest, so it's hard for me to answer that question. Um, I think it's something that would be interesting to look at. I mean, what I would say is we're ignoring the other one in this whole thing here. We're focusing on wheats. Whereas yeah. actually what we should mention is that the most extensive grain found on the Cranog was barley. Yeah. Yeah. And barley throughout the entire of the Iron Age in Britain is your go-to staple. Right, okay. So barley barley is is, you know, the Celtic crop, I think sometimes it's referred oh, to. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, just because of it it's 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 intensive farming in in, in well yeah, in Europe. Um so I think in terms of uh, barley would be the one. I mean, nowadays, barley is such a hardy crop. You can, in modern day societies, you can grow two crops a year. You can actually grow winter okay. barley. So you can grow it during the summer, but you can also grow it throughout the winter if you've yeah. got the right environment to do that in. Um, I mean, that's probably what they're extensively growing on the lot side. Yeah. Um, what you've got to remember well is that, that we're applying, maybe in, in our heads and in our visuals, we're applying modern day farming of fields and fields and fields of one singular crop yeah um and i think when you start to look through this list as well um it's really interesting to look into the weeds and what else is present so we were mentioning before about how in the excavation there was a lot of uh, a plant which i actually had to look up uh, before this podcast because i had never heard of it before um and it was called do you remember the name of it what you don't remember the name of it do you Yes, but I can't remember it. <laughs> it was pale persicaria. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's a weed, and it grows in basically arable yeah. farmland. Okay. okay. So when you've got farmland or stuff that's very, very, very wet and down by the seaside, sea, uh, the lockside in this case, but you yeah. get a lot on the seaside. So that's something that all four turned up. There was a lot of it. The other one that we do see present, and you do find it across Iron Age sites, present quite a lot is a plant that we do consider a weed today called fat hen. Right, okay. And fat hen, you get the tiny little, um, it grows in, in well, it happily grows in the same fields as your grain. Yeah. So it comes up amongst it. Um, but you get a small, small uh, kind of seeds, but seeds is the wrong word. It's like a, it's like a ball is the best way of describing it. It's the fruit it grows, whatever you want. I'm not a botanist, as you can hear, but you can actually cook that and eat it. Okay. It's completely edible and it is a source of protein. Yeah. Um, but what you've got to remember is that we're, we are talking about, right, here's your field of Emma, here's your field of flax, yeah. here's your field of rye, here's your field of spelt. It might be a wrong way of looking at it that actually yeah. they've got wheat in a field that's growing and they harvest a whole lot. Yeah. In with the fat hen, in with the weeds, in with the whole lot. And that yeah. all gets harvested at one time. You know, we, we, we maybe have to take a step removal from how modern-day farming works yeah. and think on, on a slightly alternative way. But following on from that, we mentioned before the presence of raspberries and blackberries, yeah. or should I say um, cloudberries as well. Um, there was wild strawberry 
yeah. identified on the Cranog, and a few other things like uh, wild carrots and species where they put wild on the name. What I'd like to point out there, um, where it says wild, it's a, it's a maybe a, a not a, a bit of a misnomer for us talking about what was farmed and cultivated. We here at the Cranog as part of the the, the garden and what we grow on site, which which Jenny was just talking about, what we have here on site, we actually grow wild strawberries. Yeah, we're, we do. We're, we're small scale farming wild strawberries. Yeah. That means they're not wild. It means that we're actually cultivating. So again, just because these are present and the names say wild, it doesn't mean they're going out gathering them. Yeah, there's an element of cultivation I think going on there. Right. As well. Okay. Yeah. To a small degree, possibly anyway. Yeah. With that. Um. So just carrying on from that, is there anything else that is jumping out on the list for you, Jason? Um, I'm just thinking about people making things and carrying things, you know, because uh, I, I think in quite a lot of the podcasts that we've done, we're talking about objects and we're talking about things and we're talking about the end result. Mm -hmm. And uh, we start to touch on process, like how do you move one thing, like, you know, moving your, your bog iron from out of the ground, and we know where that is now, to where you're going to be making your iron, or the clay or whatever. And uh, I think um, willow. Um, which we've got here as well for baskets. We've got evidence of basketry in our collection as well. Um, I think, you know, could that suggest that people were using, um, making baskets here? I mean, there's no direct evidence of that, but it's just something that I saw that they would have understood um, about the different lengths of willow at different times of the year, yep. when to harvest them. Um, you know, maybe in the same way that now we understand that, you know, were they making baskets from them? Um, we don't know. A lot of these plants, actually, you can make baskets from. We have this idea that, you know, you need a long, straight, you know, hazel, which is going to be a thicker one. You wouldn't mm -hmm. really necessarily, you'd make it, maybe make a house out of that or a big basket. Yeah. Um, roof? A, yeah, 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 roof. A lot of these plants that are on here are very long and you can plant them together to make baskets. And you do mm -hmm. find evidence in other places in Europe of baskets made from different materials. Mm. But that's just because we're so used to seeing baskets made of willow because that's what we expect to see Yeah. if you go to a shop. So it's it's exactly the same as what you were saying. You know, they maybe have a different concept of farming. We couldn't possibly understand. We couldn't know because mm. we're so used to our current experience. Yeah. And also, um, yeah, but anyway, willow stood out for me. Um, the other thing really uh, was sedatives. Well, the other Sorry. thing I just had about yeah. willow is that willow is an incredibly easy plant to manage into baskets. Yeah. So just, I say easy, you've got to have a little bit of know-how, but I mean, I we we did um, build for Sawain, which yeah. will be happening again this year on the 31st of October at the Scottish yeah. Climate Centre. We will have an evening event, and as part of that evening event, we will be making a huge uh, figure, yeah. which will be burnt at the yeah. end of the night as a, as a a bonfire as part of the Salian celebration. For years and years and years, there was a willow tree that okay. on site, which I was going and cutting back, trimming oh, back, trimming back, yeah, near yeah. The front of the site, trimming back, trimming back. Every year, I cut it all back, and that was the willow that we were using in the really? ram. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part some of the willow we were using in the ram. Every single year, this is, and every single time it came to the following year, it was all cut back again because it was the right size to cut it back every single year. I didn't realize what i've been doing there is actually coppicing basketry willow 
Oh, right. So if you do that process of literally just going to a willow tree, trimming everything back, right the way back, the nice straight rods, every year you will get stuff of the same size. It's got an annual growth that it will return back right, okay. within one year. So if you were to make baskets from a willow tree, don't cut the whole tree down. You just go up and trim off the bits you need, squish it down. Right. And then by in 12 months' time, you can do exactly the same process. Right. Okay. So to coppice willow and actually start to create baskets from it, one of the reasons that willow is probably one of the most suitable plants is because it just it has an annual return, which is right, just incredibly okay. um, reliable because mm. it grows quick and it grows well in a lot of places, incredibly efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm also just thinking about kind of leaping ahead a little bit and thinking about our new site, Dal Air, mm -hmm. and how we can think differently about plants. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know that and I made baskets. You know, you know, it's that it's that thing about knowing where the willow has come from. I know yeah. once you've you've harvested it, I know how to make a basket from that. I think that'd be really interesting taking some of these ideas forward into Dalur. Yeah, how do we connect to the past in different ways? Yeah. So the other thing I was gonna pick up on um was sedatives. Oh. So you've got uh, common valerian, um you've also got willow again, which contains the what's the thing that you make aspirin from? What's the name of the chemical in that? Aspirin, I believe. Yeah. Well, I think, it's, no, I think it's aspirin. It is, okay. It is. So we've got medicine here. We've got a common valerian, which is a sedative. And we also have opium poppies as well. Um, opium poppy, you could maybe make a salve from it, something like that. Maybe mm -hmm. mix it up with your flax oil because you've got flax seeds here. Yep. And um, that could be used, for example, I don't know, toothache, childbirth, for example. It's a very heavy sedative. And I'm not saying that that's what they did. But there's, that's the potential based on, on um, what they found at the bottom of the log. Was it three opium poppy seeds at the sand? It wasn't very many, was it? No, it wasn't very many. Okay. But it was present. It was present. Wonderful. So I'll just take the last one. The last one that I'd like to talk about. Um, very quickly. Yeah. Of what you've mentioned. What was your favourite plant? Opium poppy. Open <laughs> yeah, because it, it it just sounds like it's come from somewhere completely different. Yeah, <laughs> Iran maybe. Yeah, nobody 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 expects it. Do they? No, it's a, it's a good one. For, yeah. for me, I'm going to go very very functional, okay. very practical. And if this was a tier list, there will be two that I will put in S tier. That's what I'd say. On the, on right. The okay. Tier, Let's go for S tier then, Rich. Two of them. Yeah. First one, which is ever present. Everybody identifies it, but not only that, everybody underestimates how useful it is. Yeah. That is the common nettle. Okay. Okay. So there is tons of nettles evident on the ground. There's tons of nettles still in the landscape today. As yeah. You know? But the thing about nettles, they grow quick, they grow well. You can make clothes out of them. Mm. You can make rope out of it. You can eat it. It's a very high rich in iron. Yeah. And I think it's salad. Silic acid or something, I can't remember what that is. All that stuff, it's actually very, very healthy in terms of a, of a food that you can consume. A ready, abundant uh, resource. Not only that, you can dye with it as well. You can. You get a fantastic dark green colour. Yeah. Um, and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Underrated. The unsung hero of, right. of the plants in this. So I think the, 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 yeah. the, present, the present of the nettle. The present of the nettle is, is, is very important. But the one that I actually... On a real serious note, I think is is one of the most underrated in terms of what it is available for. Even today, within within kind of um, joinery and construction, is birch. Yeah. Now, um, birch trees are 
the oldest tree in record in Scotland. Okay. The earliest evidence is that of a birch tree. The birch tree is what they call, um, in terms of, of timber, they call it a pioneer species. Yeah. So it will tend to be and always seems to be some of the first in areas. And it can survive on very, very bad soil as well. Terrible land, doesn't need a lot, but it grows quick. The thing about birch is it actually makes fantastic construction. Yeah. A lot of people don't see birch as a very good timber because it rots very quickly. Mm. And it does rot very quickly. But if you can get it in a dry environment, it is a good, strong hardwood that will last. Yeah. And it will last. So especially roofing timbers. I know you think putting something on the roof is a, is a terrible place to put wood if it wants to get wet but with a proper hat and uh, boots in terms of a house situation if it's inside and it's dry mm. birch is a very strong yeah but useful wood in that not only that um birch i mean in our record here on the archaeological record it says silver birch and it says downy birch right okay. which are two different species of birch to be honest it's one of those plants where actually the species of birch is almost irrelevant mm. because what birch does is it adapts to it environment and it adapts very quickly. Yeah. So like you could you could um, I was chatting to um, Art Copperson who's saying you could drive down a road where it all looks like downy birch and downy birch is the one that the the, the trees come the, the, theoretically the branches come down. But actually, if you were to test it, it would be silver birch right, because okay. that dangling down is what grows better in that environment. Right. So there's this point that it, it will adapt and survive and thrive. We talk about planting willow, you can plant willow, you can plant oak, you can plant hazel, and you can make coppice glades. We were talking here about actually having planting birch, to which the response was, that it just grows itself. Right. <laughs> because yeah. it's so right, yeah. and it will just grow quite happily in that environment in terms of birch. The other thing is, the bark is incredible. Birch bark tar, you can use birch bark as well for birch bark containers, yeah. too, on top of that. So it's got good construction, it's got 100 different uses, quite frankly. Birch sap is incredibly rich it's it's full of uh, it's a good alternative for water in terms of drinking and, and, and everything you need in it and not only that grow a birch tree it grows very quickly take a good chunk of birch split it leave it a week you can burn it as firewood right so in terms of actually having that species present i think birch is the best good stuff rich <laughs> Anything else, Jason? No. Wonderful. So what we'll do is we've got Raina as the last thing as part of this. Um, and Raina is going to take you through her. She's made a recipe for flax uh, biscuits, I believe it is, that she has been cooking all weekend as part of the yeah. uh, autumn event. Um, so she's going to take you through that now. <laughs> Hi, so we're sat here with Raina. Raina, if you'd just like to introduce yourself. Absolutely, my name is Raina and in my real job, I am the data protection officer for the University of Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. But about six or seven years, I think, ago, yeah. I came as a tourist to the Scottish Cranock Centre. Mm -hmm. Completely fell in love with the place. It's just absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And I gave them my card saying, well, if you ever need a traditional Gaelic singer, give me a shout, I'd be happy to, I don't want money or anything. It's just, I enjoy performing and I'd love to contribute. A couple of months later, I got an email saying, would you be willing to sing for us at the Big Spring Festival? And mm -hmm. I said, yes, absolutely, of course. So in the first two years, I think I just came for special events and did some singing. 
Then I started coming a bit more often and I sang working songs in the kitchen area, butter churning songs. And at some point somebody said, oh my goodness, such and such is off sick today. Rina, could you maybe take over the kitchen area? I said, oh my goodness, uh, I can try. Yes, absolutely. And by listening to Rachel mm -hmm. talk about food in the Iron Age so many times, yeah. I also just learned about all these things. And yep, since then, whenever I'm up here, I work in the kitchen area. Fantastic. And um, today we're just going to be chatting a little bit about the food in the kitchen area, mm -hmm. um, as you have brought... Flaxseed biscuits. Flaxseed biscuits. So as part of our um, podcast that we're doing around plants, we just wanted mm -hmm. to, to have you come and just chat about um, what it is you've made. Um, yep. And then if there's any plants that we know that are in the archaeological record from mm -hmm. Oak Bank Cranog. Yep. If you just you know, chat about that, but we'll yep. start with these these very impressive uh, biscuits as they are. What are they? So this was quite funny because a couple of weeks ago, Jill, who runs the shop and who also orders the supplies, said, listen, folks, last year somebody wanted me to buy ground flaxseed. Mm -hmm. We've got two boxes of the stuff now mm -hmm. and nobody is using them. Could you please come up with a recipe using up that flax? Mm -hmm. So I thought and I went home and I tried out stuff and I came up with a recipe for making these biscuits. Now the interesting thing is, and this is something I've learned here in the Krenov because I'm not a vegan, but I've learned mm -hmm. that vegans use ground flaxseed mixed with water as a binding agent, as a substitute for egg white. Okay. So because flax doesn't have gluten, I used the flaxseed, mm -hmm. mixed it with water, put a little bit of regular flour in it, and then just melted butter and honey, mm -hmm. and it worked. Mm -hmm. And so far, people have been saying very nice things about it. And mm -hmm. we have thankfully used up the flaxseed. Yeah, which is a, a good, a good, I suppose, parallel as to what would have happened two and a half thousand years yeah. ago. You know, you mm -hmm. use you use what's available, what's in abundance, and what's at your fingertips. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to throw food away because that would be a horrible waste. No. And we are looking at sustainability here, so throwing food away is an absolute no-no. No, no. no. So we're not so doing this with. These are plastic. So you've been serving these as part of our Celtic Autumn event, mm -hmm. um, and the feedback has been positive. I've actually been even asked for the recipe, oh, which is a bit funny because I didn't measure anything. I just oh, let's <laughs> put a bit of that. Oh yes, the dough is still a bit dry. Let's put a bit more butter in it. That's pretty much how I do it, to be honest, yeah. Um, so did, did, would you, would you, in terms of, we don't know, two and a half thousand years ago, um, if they did make these, what they would have made them or maybe had them with, um, in terms of what you're delivering it, how are you, how are you serving these in a way? We're actually serving them with yeah, just about anything. Mm -hmm. I serve them with a bit of jam, homemade bramble jam, but yesterday Rachel smoked a trout, so... Yeah, we serve them with trout and with homemade cheese. Cheese and biscuits, absolutely. It's almost like a substitute for an oat cake. Really. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic, wonderful. Um, so that's your, your flax. Obviously, mm -hmm. flax is it's present in uh, Oak Bank Cranog. We do have evidence mm -hmm. from a number of different um, studies into the, mm -hmm. the, the botanical and the plant remains. Uh, flax is not just for eating, though. Uh, the other thing with flax is that you've got, you know, the... the the fibres of the plant yeah. can be used for a whole load of, of other mm. different things, including linen, you linen know, production of linen, just yeah. like, like probably what you're wearing now. In fact. Uh, so the thing is, is that we've got this yeah. um, multifunctional use for one single crop. And I think, you know, when you can yes. have biscuits, you can have clothes, all from the same thing. Locked hay, 
probably would have had quite a large amount of flax being produced. Yeah. The only reason I say that is that actually in the uh, later in, in the early records, there's a, there, I think it, don't quote me on this. I'll be wrong now. Um, but there was a, there was a comment made that went down on record that there was a flax mill at nearly every single burn in Loch Tay um, because this landscape mm -hmm. actually is is apparently very arable because we know it's been mm -hmm. farmed right the way back in time. But actually, flax would have been would have been farmed mm -hmm. quite extensively. Um, obviously, very different now as we look at it. But flax has been almost ever present from mm -hmm. prehistory. Right the way up until that probably the clearances actually. Wow. Um, so. yeah, flax ever present um, yeah. and one of those plants that we maybe don't consider is, is its function and its use as much as mm. we do. Um, and they would have also gotten oil from it because if you crush the flax seeds, of course yes, you get flax, oil. flax seed or yeah. linseed oil. Linseed oil. Yeah. So that can be used on woodwork, that can be used for cooking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. absolutely. Um, so that's the food, uh, mm -hmm. but you yourself also, when you were saying before the podcast, you'd like to chat about uh, some of the other plants. Yes. Um, so which ones were those that you want to go for? Well, I'm really, really interested in the multiple uses that some of the plants have, particularly plant-based medicine. Mm -hmm. I learned about this from childhood on because my family, we always went to Austria on holiday and always to the same place in a valley there. And we have really, really good friends there. And from them, I learned the use of plants as medicine. Mm -hmm. So during the summer this year, I collected wild thyme mm -hmm. and I dried that and you can use that directly as a tea and it's fantastic as a cough remedy. Mm -hmm. But also some of the dried wild thyme I put together with alcohol, let it steep for about two, three months so that all the goodness, all the um, essential oils of the thyme have then gone into the liquid, mm -hmm. then strain that and that is a cough tincture. Add some sugar syrup to that and you've got cough syrup. And it's really effective and um, I've actually supplied quite a few of my friends with that who said, oh yeah, that's great, that works. Mm. So this is something that I use quite a lot. And another thing also again for cough that everybody will know is Irish moss. If you boil that, you can drink that as a tea. It tastes horrifically bitter. Mm. If you don't sweeten that with honey, it's absolutely disgusting. And what does Irish moss look like? It's grey, you find it on trees and... Um, Oh gosh, difficult to actually describe if you don't have the picture in front of you. <laughs> what is it well, like? Well, yeah. picture in picture. Grey, green, light. Yeah. <laughs> but that is also a really good okay. remedy against um, coughing. Okay. And another thing that I do a lot is I make an oil. So <laughs> the story is that I did something incredibly stupid when I was about 13. I bought New Hill walking boots. I did not break them in. I went on a 10 mile walk. Can imagine the outcome my heels were pretty much raw and that was in Austria and our friend there said no 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 don't use anything that you bought in the pharmacy take this oil put this on your heels that's much much better and people will be familiar with St John's word as a remedy against depression mm -hmm. but if you pick the flowers and the buds you put them into oil and our friend used olive oil mm -hmm. put it in a glass jar and you put that on a windowsill in the sun and you let it stand for about two weeks, the oil turns blood red, and that is fantastic for healing little wounds. So I put that on my heels and it was fine, no scarring, no nothing, mm -hmm. and much quicker than if I have anything store-bought. Yeah, I think um, it's what you've, what you've highlighted there is the, is the functions that we maybe don't consider in these plants yeah. that, mm -hmm. that are there, you know. We, we, we medicate with what we call medicine today, mm -hmm. But actually, you know, prehistory. There's a there's, when you look at the list of plants, 
who are found at Bank Cranog. Yeah. You can't go buy a pack of ibuprofen. You can't go get yourself some paracetamol. Exactly. So uh, how do you, you know, when you've got pain or whatever it might be, yeah. you've got to go into the landscape and know what's around you. That's um, it. Absolutely. And I think when actually you start to break down the functions and the uses of those mm-hmm. plants on that list, yeah. you know, will and willow, take willow bark, willow bast. It's fantastic. Absolutely. It acts like aspirin. Yep. Um, you know, we've Meadow got... Meadowsweet, the same thing. Absolutely. Also has... Meadowsweet's another Salicyl- one that's there. Salicylic acid, yes, that's it. I got it right. I definitely got it right. (laughs) Um, And the other one um, is is self-heal, which is one that I I talk about in the past. And self-heal in in Saxon times, Mm -hmm. as it was called, um, it was, I can't forget the actual name, the Saxon name for it, but but its meaning was the spear wound. Mm -hmm. The whole point is, is if you were to have a spear wound, you would put self-heal on it. Um, because it's also referred to, and it's been it's been referred to in the past as the carpenter's herb. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it's uh, it actually, if you if you if you take a dry bit of self, you'll chew it up, spit it on the wound. It, yeah. it's, uh, it's coagulant, yeah. so it clots the blood. Exactly. So it Absolutely. helps look. But so yeah. it's all these little little hints and tips, mm-hmm. I suppose, is a way of looking at it that we you know we can look up today. We might yeah. find out, but you know at the end of the day, we can always just nip down to boots and get what we need. And it was actually back then. It's knowing what's around you in the landscape, and it's yes. that ability with the plants to look at what I would. So, if I was to look at going to the woodland, I'd just see a sea of green because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ignorant in that way. <laughs> Whereas an Iron Age person would yeah. look and they'd see dye, medicine, coagulant. Yeah, that will help with my headache. Exactly. That I can build my building out of, and you start to yes. you know just approach the the environment around you in a very different way. Completely, and they probably found out about these things by chance. So maybe somebody had a tummy ache and they had some mint tea and oh, that's much better. Let's try that again. So that way they probably would have built up a body of knowledge and that body of knowledge would then have been passed down through the generations. Yeah, yeah but I mean, you've got that, there's that chance, definitely there's that chance about, mm-hmm. you know, you learn the initial yeah. thing. But I think what we can't under undervalue is the fact that once you figure out that that one yes. plant is the cause of that, yeah. you immediately... The curiosity of the mm-hmm. human being kicks in. Well, what does yes. that plant do? What does that oh, plant do? And yeah. then you start getting yeah. the experimentation coming in. Yes, and definitely. it's kind of it's 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 you know it's the first chemistry. It's the, it's the first mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. In that yeah, same that's way. right. Wonderful. And of course, all our current medicine, so much of it is based on the yeah. plants. So what we're doing with the plant medicine is nothing witchery or whatever. It's just but, yeah. <laughs> come on, <laughs> it's magic. Oh gosh, it's it is. It's fabulous. Cool. Well, thank you, Raina, very much. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, is there anything you want to add? No, I think we've talked about all of Well, thank you for your help at this event and, and thank you for volunteering all those many weekends and helping run the cooking area. My and absolute pleasure. A beautiful voice. You are an award-winning Gaelic yes. singer. So, you know, I think I think we can plug you. do have an album, don't you? I do, yes, absolutely. So, look, I can plug that as well for you. Go on. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. So it's well worth, it's well worth if you look her up. It's, it's absolutely fantastic and, and, and really uh, an asset to this place. Thank you, Raina. I'm just enjoying myself here so much. It's just fantastic. Brilliant. Top notch. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Raina. I can attest that they were very nice. They were brilliant. They're incredible. Yeah, they are incredible. Um, so that's it for the, the Cranocast uh, today. 
we do we are still open the Pranav Center is going to be staying open now until the 31st of October for 45 minute tours all throughout the day on the 31st of October in the evening we will have our uh, last evening event of the year which is yeah. our sound event which I mentioned earlier um, which is going to be a fantastic whole evening of, of um, sowing themed Halloween Halloween themed immersive it's just a great great evening it's one of our best events that we run here at the Crown Center there are still tickets available I would encourage you to book on and get over here and do that quickly because it sells out it does it does sell out <laughs> it does sell out um, and then we will be open right the way through until December this year so then we'll be switching in November and December to hourly tours and we will be shutting slightly earlier at that time and we are going to be shut on Mondays and Tuesdays throughout the end of the year so just bear that in mind but we are still available everything's available on our website and um yeah that's it for me brilliant jason no that's it any last minute plant knowledge no. you want to throw at me no, no. i'm all planted out wonderful i am so i am thank you very much guys thank you very much see you later